0: So yeah, last Sunday we saw that they, looking at the question of infant salvation and um, what we actually saw was that roughly, and this is really shocking, is that roughly 70 to 90% of the entire human population die before they're even born. That is really hard to digest. Really just a shocking statistic there. And so I wanna repeat, 70 to 90% of human beings do not make it to term. This is a big question. Many are miscarried when they're embryos. This is after conception. The biblical position is that life starts at conception. The scientific position is that life starts at conception. Every embryologist in the world recognizes this. This is not like, you know, my opinion. I'm just telling you it's kind of like your opinion, man, or something. That's just your view. No, this is is substantially what science is. That human life starts at conception. That's a biblical view. And so 70 to 90% of human beings die before they make it to term. Now you you tell somebody this and they're just like, I told my little brother this once. He's like, no way, you're lying. You're making this up, I don't believe you. And he looked it up on Google and he was like, yeah, it looks like you're right, Nate, it is is somewhere that's true. Um, So yeah, this is is what, I'm repeating this quote just for those catching up this time. This is from the National Institute of Medicine and I quoted from it. It says, it is widely accepted the natural human embryo mortality rate is high Particularly around the first week of fertilization with total prenatal losses of 70% and higher are frequently claimed. And by a higher, there are some experts that put up the 90% in that article uh, that uh, Gavin E. Jarvis writes on uh, embryo, early embryo mortality rates. And so, yeah, up to 90%, some die um, at different rates, depending on how they calculate it. And, I, and so that's, that's amazing to think that 70%, 90% of human beings that are conceived do not make it to term. This is how Professor Genetics, uh, Charles uh, Bacalage, puts it. He says, at least 73% of natural single conceptions have no real chance of surviving six weeks after gestation. It's a professor of genetics and pediatrics there. So... Yeah, you look at this and you're like, wow, so these miscarriages happen as as sad and as shocking as this, and the women don't even know they happen. It happened so early. So then when we're looking at the, the, the question of infant salvation, we're not just looking at a baby that was lost here and there, you know. No, we're we're talking about the vast majority of the human race. It's not like we're dealing with, oh, that's just an exception. You know, people talk about, you know, infant salvation or infants dying as if it were some exception. And most people live No, this is this is by far the rule, it seems that the babies do not make it. so this is really something that we have to think about and when you accept the conclusion of infant salvation you really get to see God's love and mercy for little children and in humanity you you see the heart of God for humanity that he loves them and he loves humanity and he wants to draw closer to his creation That I want to contrast this with the view that people have held that I've run into many people who've held this view you'd be surprised I was talking to someone the other day about this sermon and like just nobody thinks that babies go to hell I'm like you would be surprised. You would be so surprised. Uh, I've met pastors that have held this view. It's, it's, it's you'd be surprised. But so if you hold this view that they go to hell, that means the vast majority of the human race goes to hell. And so when, when people hear that their child, after they've suffered a, a terrible miscarriage and their very suffering, I mean, people have walked away from the faith over hearing that infants go to hell. Uh, It makes people not want to run towards God. It makes people want to to run away from God. And so what we're going to see is that the biblical teaching this morning will, will cause us to go to deeper knowledge and love of God and will not cause us to run away from him, but to draw deeper and deeper into the heart of Jesus Christ and his love for children. And so this whole thing happens. Because of a misreading of our text, which is why we're spending two sermon series, Romans 5.12, which talks about the plunge of the human race by the, the, the choice of Adam to sin and rebel against God. It says in Romans 5.12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so that death spread to all men because all sin. So babies die and babies are, are covered in that, that sin of Adam. They have inherited from it from the rebellion of Adam and Eve. They have that, that sin. That's why they die in and outside of the womb. But the, but the wrong conclusion to draw from this, this is what people say, this is what people think. The wrong conclusion to draw from this is that the reason why this whole thing was set up in the first place was just to send children to hell. I have heard people say that, that the reason why they are given original sin and the reason why it is, it is inherited by, from, from Adam is so that they will go to hell. But the Bible never says that. It never teaches that anywhere. And people throughout the history of the Christian church have drawn in this wrong conclusion. It's not just a few people today, but people throughout the church have said this. And so some have said, oh, you got to baptize your kids so you can wash away the stain of original sin. The Bible at no point ever teaches that you need to get Baptize your infant To wash away their sins Never says that The Bible we'll see Will teach the exact opposite Of what this conclusion Usually goes towards The reason why They inherit the sin of Adam Is so that the final And ultimate result Is so that God may have grace And mercy on them In Jesus Christ I love how the The late theologian Charles Hodge Puts it He says All who die in infancy Are doubtless saved But they are saved by Grace Grace Race. and the other theologian BB Warfield who was a very prominent theologian and he defended Christianity he was very well known at Princeton he says the means by which the majority of humanity is saved is by sovereign unconditional grace and mercy it's not based on their goodness or merit babies they can't do it. they can't do much they're helpless babies don't go to heaven because they are good but because god is good so before we look at the many texts that go over all of this, there's so many. We had to spend two ser- lessons on this, sermons on this. Lessons, sermons, you know, tomato, tomato. So, yeah, but the, the thought is like, OK, look, Nate, I've got kids, you know, and you look at kids and they, they sometimes don't listen. Sometimes don't listen. OK, you got someone who's one or two or three years old and you can tell they're selfish right away. They're sinful right away. They—they they are, uh, you know. They, you, a child can lie, and you don't ever have to teach them how to do that on their own. And so, yeah, they have this sinful nature. So people think, oh, they have this sinful nature, so they must go to hell. Uh, I remember one time uh, with Abigail and Kenny. Oh my goodness! So me and my wife have this tradition where we go to the dollar store or the, the Five Below, which I always thought was like an ice cream joint until I'm like, what is this Five Below? Is this like some new ice cream innovation? But it's actually $5 and below. That's the, the it's, it's in, it's in, uh, in, in Draper uh, Peaks right next to my favorite place, Las Glorias, as you know, that I'm an aficionado of Mexican food. So that's like my, that's like my center right there. My center is that area. That's where I thrive and live and dwell. So yes, so five below, we take them to five below or we do a dollar store. We just want to like see what our children are going to pick out. And lo and behold, every time we say, okay, my wife takes them to the store. Hey, it's daddy's birthday, pick out a gift for daddy. They pick out gifts for themselves. It's so ridiculous. And I remember just recently, it was my wife's birthday, and I took Abigail and Kenny, and they they were picking out all this, I think Kenny picked out some Hulk thing for my wife. How thoughtful. (laughs) Because my wife loves an angry superhero. So thoughtful, you know. And so Abigail picked out a children's jewelry making set for my wife. And the next day, Abigail's little neighbor friend came over uh, and they were like playing with it. And my wife's like, wait, aren't you going to wait for me? Like, this is my gift. She's like, my, my daughter's like, oh, you can play with us if you want. It's her gift. You bought it for her, not for yourself. So it just shows you how they're just children are naturally selfish. just me, 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 my, my, mine. So people ask, okay, so this natural sinful nature that children have, does that mean they'll be punished towards this natural selfishness this natural bent towards sin the sin nature and the answer according to scripture is no they will not because as we saw last time in Deuteronomy they don't fully comprehend good and evil they don't understand that yet. And so they are excused and granted immediate heaven. I mean, how amazing it is to be imagine you know, of that 70, 90% that doesn't make it a term. I mean, the first experience they have is being in heaven in the grace of Jesus. Like, I have to suffer this pain of life. It's amazing and a beautiful thing that God has grace on these little ones. But you see this in Deuteronomy 129 specifically. We saw this. And it's have deeper, deeper connections here with the New Testament to infant salvation. Deuteronomy 139, it says, And as for your little ones, small children, babies, who you said would be a prey, and your children who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall go in there, the land of Israel, the land of Canaan. They will possess it. I will give it to them, and they shall possess it. Excuse me. So, yeah, they didn't have a knowledge of good and evil, so they're on that basis possessing the land. And it's amazing because The adults who were unbelieving were unable to enter that land. And what's really interesting is if you read the New Testament, the New Testament gives and imbues the land of Israel with tremendous significance. It views it as a, a, a picture or a type, as uh, a way of putting it, a picture of heaven. So the land of Israel is viewed as heaven, a land f- you know, flowing with milk and honey. And so this is a land that's viewed beautifully as a pointing to heaven, and yet infants were able to in- enter in there. And so you look at Hebrews three sixteen through 4, 3. I'm going to read this here. It makes it explicit. Parents were not able to enter. believe? children were able to enter into this picture or this symbol of heaven. Hebrews 3:16 For those for who the for, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled the parents was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses and with whom was he provoked for 40 years was it not those who sinned and whose bodies fell in the wilderness they didn't make it and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient, they didn't trust and believe. They, were, they disobeyed God. They put their rest in idols. So we see that they were unable to enter, enter the land because of unbelief. Yet their children entered. The babies entered. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, so they call the promised land of Israel rest to indicate the final rest of heaven. Let us fear lest any of you should remain or should seem to have failed to reach it. For the good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So they were unbelievers. They were kicked out of land. They were unsaved, unregenerate, unbelievers. And so God's like, no, you're not going to enter this. That's what it says. For we have believed, we who have believed have entered that rest. So if you trust in Jesus, you've entered that rest, which was symbolized by the land of promise, which infants entered as he has said as i swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest those who were unbelieving yet the infants entered into that rest and so it's it's clear that, that yeah infants are entering into a land that symbolizes heaven is good evidence that when they die they will go to heaven and it's it's amazing that you actually have examples of this in the bible and we know the reason why they enter into heaven is because of what, as this says they don't know the difference between good and evil they don't know fully understand comprehend Good and evil, and I often get asked, you know, what about those who are uh, severely cognitively impaired? Would they go to heaven too on this basis? And the answer is yes, they would. They would God has grace on on them as well. You see, it's not people say, oh, it's an age of accountability. That's what you hear. But what we see in scripture is not so much an age of accountability, but a capacity. Of accountability. They have certain capacities where they're left not morally accountable. They're not fully understanding what's going on. And so it's a matter of cognition. It's not a matter of age. Someone could be severely brain damaged and be 20, 30 years old. It's a capacity, not an age. And of course, you actually have an example in scripture that we went over last time. We're going to look at more detail because it's so. For me personally, as someone who's lost a child, it's so comforting and so deep. And you see the comfort going, it's just amazing. I'm going to read it. 2 Samuel 12, 18 to 23. On the seventh day the child died, the the son of David died, the king David. sin with Bathsheba. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. And they said, behold, while the child was alive, we spoke to him and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, the child is dead? He may harm him. He may do something to harm himself. So they're like worried he's going to commit suicide, that he's suicidal because he's so distraught about the death of his son if if he hears about it. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, yes, he's dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. You could contrast this with the with death of his son Absalom. He was grieving. He was inconsolable. But here he goes into the house of the Lord and he offers praise and thanks to God he went into his own house and when he asked they sent food before him and he ate he's eating now before he didn't eat he was so distraught then his servant said to him what is this thing that you have done you fasted and wept for the child when he was alive but when the child died you ate food he said while the child was, was still alive I fasted and I wept for he said who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live but now he is dead why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. He says, you know, hey, this is no, there's no point. He's in, he's in heaven. I'm going to go see him. So he is comforted by this truth as I was comforted when I lost our child in miscarriage. And so he's, he's going through this experience and he goes on to go on to comfort his wife at this point. Anybody who's lost a child in infancy, this truth that we're going to see them again that we're going to be able to hug them again and spend eternity with them is the deepest of comforts. Now, some people have viewed this passage and said, well, you know, Nate, this is probably what I've heard the most common view people articulate to me is that not all babies are going to hell, but it's only the children of the covenant people of God or maybe the children of believers that go to heaven so that unbelieving children don't go to heaven. There's that's a it's a theological idea, it's a doctrinal idea, but there's not a single verse in the entire Bible that says something like that. There's nothing that says that at all, and there are multiple texts that show irrespective of whether or not they're part of the covenant people of God irrespective or not whether their parents are believers yet their children are saved babies are saved so that's why I, as I believe the Bible teaches not just oh you know, just only of believing parents no I believe the Bible teaches universal infant salvation that every baby that's miscarried in and outside the womb uh, that passes on will go to heaven That's what I think the the teaching of Scripture, the weight of Scripture leads us to that. And I wanna look at 1 Ezekiel 16, 20 through 21 to kind of look at this one here. You have apostate, unbelieving Israel who was worshiping idols and sacrificing their little children, their babies, to these idols. Look what God calls their children. And you took your sons and your daughters whom you have born to me, Born to me. So they belong to God ultimately. And then you, the, these you sacrifice to them to be devoured. Were you whoring so small a matter that you slaughtered my children and deliver them up as an offering by fire to them, to these idols, these false gods. So all children, all infants, small little children that die are God's children. They are his children. They belong to God in Christ that's who they belong to very same thing something similar is said in jeremiah jeremiah 19 4 through five same situation this is this is not the children of believers these are apostate israelites who are literally killing their children to false gods for, for pagan sacrifice this is a practice in the sadly in the near eastern cultures Because the people have forsaken me and profaned this place by the making of offerings in it to other gods, whom neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah have known, and because they have filled this place with the blood of innocence and built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire, burnt offerings to Baal which I did not command or decree, nor did it come into my mind. God just abhors this. But he says, yet they're children. They're innocent. They're his children. He loves them, even though they are unbelieving and so unbelieving that they would murder their own children before a false God. Yet they are the children of God. They are innocent because of God has love and mercy towards all those who do not know the difference between good and evil, who do not understand it. They are innocent because they lack a knowledge of good and evil. And Job, who we see, went through so much. And he's not in Israel, by the way. Job's not in Israel. It's agreed upon. Job went through so much suffering and pain, and he he's at such a point of agony. And he's a godly guy. At such a point of agony, he wishes that he could have died as an infant. This is what he says. Verse 12. Why did the knees receive me, or why did the breasts that I should nurse? For then I would have been lain down and been quiet. I would have slept. Then I would have been at rest. He calls it rest as an infant. With kings and counselors of the earth who rebuilt the ruins for themselves, or princes who had gold or filled their houses with silver, or why was I not as hidden, stillborn child, as an infant who never see the light? There the wicked cease from troubling heaven, and there the weary are at rest. So Job says it would be better if he died as a baby, because then he would be truly at rest. What is so interesting, as I find in Revelation, is that hell is ascribed as no rest day and night. Heaven is described as rest consistently throughout the New Testament and in the Bible. So that he wants to, he would say, yeah, it's better if I died. I would be at rest. I'd be in the immediate presence of Jesus, who for all those who are weary and heavy laden, he gives rest to them by those who trust into all these little ones. So yeah, you find rest in God and Christ. And Job says he would experience it if he were to die as a newborn or as a stillborn. What is amazing is that, again, this is not, we don't know anything about Joe's parents. It's not said, well, the reason why is because your parents were believers. Nowhere, that's just, that is something that is just made up. That is something that is not found in the Bible that only covenant children, only children of believers alone are the ones that inherit salvation. It's all children. You look at his, uh, Ecclesiastes here. It also makes it clear in chapter six, verse three, that it is children in general, children in general that receive this. If a man's father has a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good, good things. And he also has no burial. I say that the stillborn child is better off than he. So even if someone fathers all of these children and doesn't really find true satisfaction, it doesn't, the stillborn child is better than he. That doesn't make any sense. At all, if the child is going to hell, it makes perfect sense if the child is in the immediate presence of Christ, doesn't have to deal with uh, life under the sun and suffering, but is in the immediate presence of Jesus. And so he is better off than a person who lives a long time and has many children. And that is amazing to think that, that they're, the majority of the human race is, doesn't have to go through this life, the pain, the sorrows, the disappointments, the trials that we face. They can be so difficult and painful, but the children are immediately just experience heaven. What a beautiful thought that is. Now there are some people I met they read they look at these passages I've offered up to y'all today and they 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 I I've, I've heard this so much when you talk about the subject matter it's almost shocking to me that it comes up so frequently but what someone will say to me is very skeptical say well okay well that means you can't oppose abortion or killing of babies because those babies are going to go to heaven immediately so hey, this is the biggest evangelistic tool ever and the problem with this reasoning, if, if you think about it, this use is something that Christians have never believed in. The ends justifies a means kind of reasoning, kind of consequentialist. Okay, you do something immoral to bring about something great. The, the entire history of the Christian church has never believed that. And so I, yeah, I'm against the killing of a baby out, in and outside of the womb because it's just obvious that killing babies are bad. You shouldn't do it. But you say, oh, well, Nate, they go to heaven. Nate, they go to heaven. But uh, consider this for a moment. That baby that's being killed could have been the next Billy Graham. Could have spread salvation to India, to Africa, to all the... Pl- you don't know that. Only God knows that. And so God, in His wisdom, commands us not to kill people. We should... All life is precious. All life is precious. We should sustain it. And we shouldn't use ends, means... You know, the ends justifies a means kind of reasoning as no one in the church. And the Bible never endorses that. And Paul teaches against that, actually, in Romans chapter 3. The, the ends... Uh, it means you not justify the ends there at all Not at all And so, yeah, this is, this is something that's based on a misunderstanding of the Bible And based on a misunderstanding that, you know what? That person that is killed that, that person could have brought about evangelistic revival We don't know that You can't know that No one knows that Only the Lord And so the life and salvation belong to the Lord It's his choice He is God over all And so when you look at infant salvation, it's amazing because God's love is not just for one race or one people group. God's love is for all people, all different types of tribes and tongues and nations. And as we're going to see here, that this also implies infant salvation, Romans 5, 9. And they sing a new song saying, worthy are are you to take up the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people from from God, from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Think about this for a second. There are tribes and thousands of years before Christ in North America, I mean you just think about it. There are tribes that they they died entirely for whatever reason, whether it be natural disaster or whatever. There are tribes that have been wiped off the face of the planet that never got to hear the gospel. And yet it says every tribe, tongue, and nation is gonna be in heaven. So how is that possible? I'd say the a good inference to draw here is that the infants from these tribes, tongues, and nations are going to be in heaven. So every single people group is going to be in heaven worshiping and glorifying God for all eternity. And so that's why you can say every tribe, every tribe, tongue, and nation. So yeah, you see this, you look at these texts, and it's clear as you bring them all together, you take the total weight of the case and all the verses together, it becomes clear that God loves humanity and he loves babies. And this is why infant salvation is true. And that means the Bible teaches, if, if we draw the science together, we look at that, and you draw inferences, it's clear that the vast majority of the human race is going to be saved. That, to me, is a very comforting thought. It's, it's an amazing thought that 70-90% of the human race, I'm not sure the exact number, you can go with rough Guesses, but that these people are going to experience heaven. And as you read through the Bible, you pin through the New Testament, this makes an awful lot of sense of verses that describe God's love for the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The Bible describes the salvation of humanity with words like all and many consistently throughout the Bible that's, that's a, a very consistent thing it's in Isaiah 53 it's all throughout the Old Testament it's in the New Testament it's a very repeated thing, theme that God has uh, salvation for the nations for all people for the world there's this sort of large love that God has for humanity never says oh you know there's going to be a few select people that are going to heaven just going to send everybody else to hell there's no passage that says that there's some that are read that way in Matthew but those are taken out of context I would say so when you look at Romans 5:18 through20, this has perplexed certain evangelical authors for a long time, it's confused people, as to why Paul uses such universalistic or, or broad language of salvation for the human race in Romans 5:18 through20. I want to read this. We're going to go on and talk about this more as we go through Romans five. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Look at that. All men. We're going to look at how all is used in Greek here in a second. But for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, the obedience of Jesus Christ, the many, not a few, not a few here, but the many will be made righteous. Now, as the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. It's beautiful uh, words there by the author. Of the Holy Spirit working through Paul but yeah he's saying here that yeah that you, you have it looks like a large clump of humanity goes to heaven now the Greek word for all doesn't mean every single person every po- and if you did that really if you said all men receive condemnation Jesus is a man Jesus receives condemnation you don't want to say that but it all communicates vast and broad language of of a lot of people tons of people are going to heaven so, you know when we use all all the time, not to mean every single, you know what I mean? We don't say all the time, but we say stuff like that. The Bible in the Greek is similar in the Greek. The Greek language is very similar to English in that way. And so this broad use of all and many is used to express the idea that I believe many in salvation in part because of the infants, these little ones that God has mercy and i'm not the only person who's come up with this like i just made this up last night it was three in the morning i'm like coming up with all these theories this is something that other pastors have noticed other scholars have noticed this is one prominent evangelical probably one of the uh most most watched evangelical pastors in the world he said this of his reading of romans 519 he says because the many have come through salvation which god provides for the little ones So the point here is the Bible uses this cosmic language in part because God's plan, as we've looked at it, includes infants, which make up a large part of the human race that passes on. And so they are brought into the instant, beautiful heaven of knowing Jesus and having eternal life. And, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, as somebody who was raised in the church, it never really made sense to me. I was always like, this is so strange. So God's going to create a world and craft it and make people that are in his image. And he used to be like, you know what, I'm just gonna send just pretty much all of them. It's few that are gonna be saved, but I'm just gonna send the vast majority of these people straight to hell. I just, I never understood that. That never really made sense to me. And looking at this biblical data and understanding these things, It's like, yeah, this makes a lot of sense of the Bible, of the data, and our intuitions about God's love for the world that we see spread out all throughout Scripture, that God has a love in Christ. He has a plan to show his love, his grace, and his justice to the vast majority of people in Christ Jesus. And he has planned for this disobedience so that he can have mercy on all. And say, well, Nate, that sounds weird. Well, that is exactly the language of the Bible. The Bible says that. Look at Romans eleven thirty through 36. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but you have now received mercy because of, of their disobedience, referring to the Gentile mercy and their Israelite disobedience, which I think the Matthew passage is referring to, the one that says few and many, I think that is referring to Israel's disobedience, which Romans 11 speaks very well to. But so yeah, this is the mercy on the Gentiles, the disobedience of the Israelites. So they too have now been disobedient, the Israelites, in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. The reason is given here. For God has consigned all to disobedience, all to to sin. He's consigned it in his plan that he may have mercy on all. That's what it says. And this makes a lot more sense when you hold this view that I've been describing about infant salvation. Oh, the depths of the riches and the... See, it brings him to worship. That the amazing plan of God and his kindness to humanity brings him closer to the love and the heart of God. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And so all here, same Greek word is used. It doesn't mean every single person. The Bible teaches hell. The Bible teaches these things very clearly, but it does mean the vast multitude of people. That's how all is used, as a vast multitude of human beings. He has consigned a vast multitude of human beings to disobedience so that he may show his love and grace and mercy in Jesus Christ to the human race. The picture of God here is one of overwhelming love and justice, grace and mercy that he shows to these little ones to so the weakest individuals of the human race that is a God we worship and when we realize this about God in, in the vastness of his love and his grace and his plan it, it draws us closer to God it doesn't make us want to run away from God as some bizarre arbitrary dictator that sends most of humanity to hell but it makes us draw closer to the heart of God as someone who loves the world whose heart is for the world and loves humanity and loves the weakest parts of humanity it wants us to, It causes us, it draws us to pray more, to worship more, to spend our whole life serving Christ because of the mercy and the love and the depths of Christ that we, we see in his kindness towards those who are weakest and those who are littlest of our kind. So when we realize this, we become better disciples of Jesus. I love the way that Spurgeon puts it. And this really ties in to the idea if God is harsh and hard, And he has just anger and wrath for all of humanity. It's hard to love a God like that. Luther found it hard to love a God like that. But when you understand his kindness, how amazing it is. When I thought God was hard, I found it easy to sin. But when I found God so kind, so good, so overflowing with compassion, I smote the breast to think that I could ever rebel against the one who loved me so and sought my good. And so when you think about God's kindness towards humanity, his kindness towards these little ones, it's truly amazing. It makes me want to follow Christ more in my life. It draws me deeper into the heart of God. The weakest, the least of these, the most helpless children. What I find amazing and I'm going to close on this note is when you read the New Testament and you see Jesus talking about children, He compares little children to believers. And this, I think, has great significance for us. It says in Matthew 18, 14, So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Little ones here means little children, babies, infants. What Jesus is doing here, this is so profound. He's saying that the connection between believers and infants, there's a connection here. He loves believers, like he loves little children. And that's how we know we are safe as believers in the arms of God. He loves us. He's never going to stop loving you. He's never going to have you perish because like God loves... Little children, like he would never want any of them to perish. That's how he loves you this morning. If you trust, believe, and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's how he feels about you. Even though you may have sinned and messed up, when you trust in Christ, he treats you as these little ones. He loves you like he loves a little child. And that, of course, assumes that he has mercy on little children, that he loves little children. He loves you if you trust in him. You are his child, his little child. And so we can sing to our children. We can tell them, yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. And we can tell them Jesus loves all the children, all the children in the world. So if you trust in Christ this morning, God loves you like that. And his mercy is always there for you, even when you fail and you stumble, there'll be somebody there to carry you. And that's God in Christ. Let's pray.